1. Here we go. We are in uh, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel tonight. And just to get it in uh, context of where we have been in 15, Saul was told to go and wipe out all the Amalekites. And that was every man, woman, and child. And also all the animals. And uh, not leave any. And we see that um, Saul did pretty good because he wiped out all the people but one, the king. And a few of the choice animals he kind of kept back. Oh, for sacrifice, of course. Right. So that's what happened. God was not very pleased with that at all. And he tells Samuel the prophet to rebuke Saul, and he tells him that, uh, you know, what's going to happen is that I'm going to take your kingship from your, from your line. There will no longer be any that come from Saul's line. Uh, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, and that he will be the last one. Um, he doesn't die at that time, but he definitely is judged. From here on out, you don't see much good about Saul at all. In uh, chapter 15, though, Samuel, being the man that he was and the prophet that he was, a godly man, a man of wisdom, um, of course, he had to pronounce the judgment of, upon him. And of course, the great words, um, see, what what is it? Uh, to obey is better than sacrifice. And that was dealing with this chapter right there in 15. And that was dealing with the sacrificial animals that he was using to hopefully turn this around and make him look better. And uh, that didn't go over. God said, I don't want your sacrifice. I want obedience. I told you to wipe them all out. And the Malachites will continue to be a little thorn in their side. Um, or at least other enemies will too. But uh, Samuel then left after pronouncing the judgment upon him. He uh, went back to um, Gibeah, and or Saul did. Samuel went to Ramah. Uh, Samuel didn't see Saul again until he died. He did grieve over him. He grieved over the fact of what he had done. He didn't repent. He grieved over the fact that here it looked promising to have King, uh, King Saul and he was disobedient against God. Now that carries over into our chapter tonight, chapter 16, where we will see the Spirit of God come upon another one who will be king, that's David. He will be next. And the Spirit that was the Holy Spirit that was upon Saul will now leave and an evil spirit will come to him. That's how serious all this was. And uh, God is a holy God. And when obedience is not practiced, uh, and he sees the heart of Saul, he uh, gives the discipline and the punishment. So uh, that's what we'll be dealing with tonight. The Spirit of God on David, and evil spirit will torment Saul. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this evening, the day that You've given us. Thank You for Your Word and Your truth. Give You glory for being such a great God. 
and also we pray for people in in our church who have tested positive and uh, with COVID, and also um, um, some are waiting to find out if they're going to have it. Uh, but we pray for their health and uh, that they would recover uh, rather quickly, and uh, everything will be okay health-wise for them. And uh, we thank you for the protection that you've given us all this time. And uh, we uh, give you all the glory in being such a good God, a merciful and gracious God. Help us as we study your word tonight to get a little more glimpse of the character of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Samuel is going to get some, get some orders to go to Bethlehem to go get a king. It's going to be David. David, a little shepherd boy. Anyway, that's the idea. Uh, we see in the first three verses, this is Samuel's orders that come from God. Remember, Samuel is the one that is speaking for God. That's what a prophet does. And he has been all along, as we've gone through this book, even with the king being present and around, we know that Samuel is the one that God has spoken through. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse of Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. The orders are given. Yes, Vel. Because like he's he's obviously like he feels a certain way. You know, I feel a certain way. Like reading this, I feel sorry for Saul. You know? I'm like, man, you we all make mistakes, but man, you were king. <laughs> you know, you your mistakes were well, he held given, at a much higher And he was given such a privilege and yeah. he showed no you know, he he used it. He used it for his own desires, as we'd say, right? And he had to, he, he knew what he was doing. Uh, and it's just, you know, I feel like I can relate with Samuel and his grieving towards it, because it, it does seem like a grieving kind of thing to know that, you know, God's going to take his anointing away from somebody, you know? Well, that's the kind of thought that uh, Christians have to have on people who have failed. Uh, we are to have mercy and grace and love for them. We should be forgiving. And But yet God knew, as far as He's concerned, He has now a new plan to carry out. And of course, David being from the tribe of Judah was God's will all the way through anyway. The people did get what they want, uh, but it turns out that, uh, yeah, he failed Pretty big time. But it shows the kind of man that Samuel is. 
and that he is he's sensitive himself. Yeah, but yeah. the whole thing is that's exactly what God does with us. He lets us do it our way, man's way, for a while, for a season, and then those that desire to, you know, like I said, you say Samuel was grieving over this is because like what he kind of probably thought that there's nobody ever going to be there to help the people out except for you know, you know what I'm saying? It was like. It was like, like I was sitting there watching somebody think it's a believer, a Christian, for a long, long time, and then all of a sudden they go back to the world. You but know, do you, do you think maybe Samuel also felt guilty, like, okay, I failed Saul. I didn't, I didn't stay, I didn't, I yeah, didn't direct yeah. him. But he also always knew that God I didn't pay want, But yeah. he also always knew that God didn't want a man serving as king, though, too, but then, yeah, so I just felt like. He said they're set up for a while for themselves, but then I'm going to take rain and I'm going to do it the right way. Well, and the biggest thing is, is that it wasn't just a little sin. This was horrible because the command was this. And this is the way that we take God seriously. He said to wipe them all out. No matter how you feel about it, of course, taking the king made him look even better. It was a matter of pride. Look in 15 verse 11 is where we were at last week. Here's God speaking to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. There you go right there. And has not carried out my commands. And here's Samuel's response. He was distressed and he cried out to the Lord all night. Now there we see him here in 15. Then we see him at the end of 15. He doesn't go to Saul anymore, but he does grieve for him. And then in chapter 16, he is still grieving. So it's a little bit of time here. And God has made it clear that uh, Saul is not the one. And yet we see his distress that Samuel has. All night long there, and and then uh, you know he knew that God regretted making him king, so it seems like Samuel appears to even kind of intercede for Saul as he cried out to the Lord all night in in, in verse eleven of fifteen, and so he uh, here we are in sixteen. He's still doing that. Um, Saul's response. To Samuel's rebuke, Samuel rebuked him, remember, in the name of God's word. But Saul really didn't repent. You know, he said, well, we'll offer up sacrifices here, you know, and it's the people who brought um, the animals here to sacrifice, right? So he started, he's putting the blame on people. It wasn't until all was announced to him directly that he had sinned. He finally had a, a repentance, but it was a worldly repentance. And he really wasn't sorry for what he did. So really looking at it, um, you know, Samuel though realizes that the nail is in the coffin uh, as far as Saul's political realm is concerned. And, you know, he, he anointed this king. The king had done some good things. But he'd also done some things like this, and that took the cake. So God has rejected Saul. It's time for Saul to get up and act accordingly. Uh, it, it seems like there's a, there's a mild rebuke from God to Samuel here. Because he says, um, 
how long will you grieve over Saul? I've rejected him from being king over Israel. It's not going to be. He's been interceding for him, Samuel has, but he says it's not going to happen. You know, that's the way it's going to be. So, you know, Samuel seems hesitant about all of this. So he's told to go to Jesse, Bethlehem. You know, this is a there's a king chosen by God there. You'll notice that it's interesting uh, when the Lord said, uh, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. They wanted a king, the people did, but not in the right motive. Now God says, I will pick out the king. Now Samuel is getting an idea where it's going, where he's going to come from and what family he's going to come from. The only deal is, is that there's seven sons of Jesse that he, he actually uh, thought that one of them would be picked. And it's going to be the least of all of them, the youngest one, not the oldest. So, anyway, uh, look at Deuteronomy 17.15. Where it says, You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen who shall set as king over yourselves. You may put a foreigner over yourselves. Or you may not put a foreigner over yourselves. Anyway, he gives the instructions on the kind of king that they're to have. And of course you notice here, it's the one the Lord has chosen. Because somebody, anybody else would have chosen anybody but David. God knows it's going to be David. That's who he's picked. That's who it's going to be. Even Samuel, a mighty man of God, would tend to think that it's going to be the oldest one. It's not. Uh, so anyway, uh, we, we keep going here. We look at this. We see the fear that Saul, uh, Samuel has. Verse 2, he says, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. I think he really means that. Why would he say that? Because he tried to kill his own son. Exactly. Yeah, he was ruthless. Exactly. And did he have any problem with killing all those Amalekites? No. He wiped them all out, but one, he didn't seem to have any remorse over that, but he shouldn't have because God told him. But he would have killed his own son if he could have. The people didn't let him. His own son. That's Jonathan, a godly man. Yep, so I think Samuel knows the character. He knows what he would do, didn't he, wouldn't he, Avell? He'd know he'd do that. So he, I think he is showing fear here a little bit. Um, it's like a protest in a way. The word, if it reaches Saul, that I'm anointing a new king. He'll kill me. I'm a dead man. A real danger here. So he doesn't um, want to go down there real quickly. You know, I, you know, how can I do this, God? You know, you think of uh, Saul. He could have been like, well, Herod. Remember King Herod? Yeah. Yeah, he, he he would kill his own relatives, his own wives, his own family, children. He killed infants from what zero to two. 
Jesus Point. even says you, to the Pharisees, you know, your fathers are the ones who killed the prophets. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? So it's like with, you know, Saul being a prophet. It could have done it. It kind of falls into that line because he knows that he'd be dead if it wasn't for God telling him and instructing him. So it's, yeah, that's, that's really, really key there. So uh, there we have uh, Samuel feels his concern. It's good reason for some hesitation here. But God has it all figured out. Right? Always. When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you. Now this, this is really good. You would think, well, what is he going to is he going to kind of like deceive them? Is he going to lie or what? Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Going down to Bethlehem to do that. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice. That's David's father. And I'll show you what you shall do. I'll show you. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. He doesn't tell who he is. Now you remember the before... Whenever Samuel chose Saul, do you remember that? God told him and that he would show up, show up that next day. And he made it very clear who it was. Well, at least Samuel knows where he's supposed to go, but he doesn't know which one it's going to be. But, close enough, right? So he's to take a heifer and tell the people of Bethlehem to come to the sacrifice. So, if, if it, it, and the thing is, for, to get where Samuel's at to Bethlehem, you know where you have to go through? Saul's town. So, you got a heifer and you're walking through town, and somebody would spot that and they'll go, I saw Samuel. Saul will go, What's he doing? I'm not so sure. What do you think Saul thinks of Samuel right now? Well, Samuel rebuked him. Anyway, if uh, Samuel thinks he's going to get killed by him, but he's got a way out. God does, he gives, and it makes it a sacrificial meal. Which really, it's really interesting how he does this because it is real for that, and it's a great time then to do the anointing of the people that are around there. I don't know if Saul ever, ever heard about this, this one kind of anointing that happened here at this time. Uh, at this time, he didn't. Because he winds up even getting David in his palace. <laughs> but anyway, but that is... But isn't that what Samuel did anyway? I mean, he never, he never just stayed with Saul all the way anyway. He did have different duties to do, so... Right. It wouldn't have looked... But in case he got caught there going through there, you know, that he has an out, that's what he's doing. He's getting ready to sacrifice, a sacrificial meal. Now, God often has more in mind than he reveals to us beforehand. A lot of times he'll give us some kind of an idea of which way to go, but we don't know what all is behind that, do we? Who knows? How did he know exactly? the right person to bring you to you in your lifetime. And certain things that either people did or situations that came up that God made happen, but later on there's more things that happened that we never even could even tell at that time. Who would have known we would be here today at this time? 
You know, if we take it back to our childhood, we didn't have too much interest in the Lord, did we? Among, among us all, not a whole lot, but He's used all of these incidents to bring us to this time in life, whether it be right here in this building or where we're at, you know, uh, as far as location or our spiritual walks. God has been there all the time, hadn't He? But He didn't reveal the whole thing to us. And He didn't do it here even with Samuel. A little bit at a time. Here's what you do. Go to Bethlehem. Go to Jesse's house. So that's what he's doing. So now we get Samuel's arrival. Um, hey, Avel, could you read 4 through 13? It's a pretty good chunk there. It says, huh, Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. And when the elder of the town met him, they troubled and asked, do you come in peace? In peace, he replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Saul saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Human do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abidab and presented him to Saul. The Lord has not chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shamash. But Saul said, The Lord has, cho- not, has not chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Saul told Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Saul asked him, Are these all the sons you have? There is still one youngest. He answered, But right now he's tending the sheep. Saul told Jesse, Send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, Anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Saul set out and went to Ramah. All right. Saul or Samuel? Samuel. Samuel. Uh, did I say Saul? Yeah. So, yeah, I've been doing that all along. I'm not the only one now. That's right. So it's interesting. He gets there, you know, and they go like. What are you doing here? You know, are you are you coming in peace? They're trembling. The elders of the city, the very leaders of the city, came trembling to meet him and said, "Do you come in peace?" They are scared because they don't know what. It, usually, when you know a prophet comes to them, 
there's not something good that they're going to be saying to them maybe. Maybe they're thinking that. Or maybe that's something to do with Saul. Maybe they know that you know Saul and Samuel have their outs right now and what's going to happen here, what's going on, and they're trembling. They're, they're afraid. To this point, it has really nothing to do with Saul because Saul is just an instrument of the Lord. So, you know, Samuel's quarrel or Saul's quarrel with Samuel is the quarrel with the Lord. He's quarreling with the Lord and His Word. Not necessarily, you know, Samuel himself, but because he's the instrument, you know. But Samuel, a prophet though, I think most yeah. time, have we, isn't it most time we've sat there seen this, that when prophets came, he's had to no, no. pretty much slap their hands. Or Who makes you wonder what's been going on down in Bethlehem? What have you been doing? You know, a lot of people will go to the prophets yeah. to ask them for something and you know, it's kind of safe when you kind of do that. And, mm-hmm. You know, you're like, I'm going to the prophet because I need to find this goat. You know, I need to go find this or that. Right. You know, I need a blessing. So you go to them and you get whatever you get. <laughs> but definitely when they come to you, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what, now what? Now what did we do? I didn't do it this time. <laughs> Samuel's a good man. He's a good prophet. And they know that. But it's like, this may not be good. And he's saying, peace. We come in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Set yourself uh, apart. Clean yourselves. Get ready for a sacrificial meal. Uh, so anyway, the presence of... It's almost viewed as the presence of God amongst them. How many times that people fall down in fear whenever God speaks to them throughout Scripture. And He says, what? Peace. Angels, same thing. So Samuel is almost like, he speaks for God. It's almost like God is right there with him. Not Samuel is, but of course, speaking. So is Jesse then, he's considered an elder then, right? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't say. Because Jesse seems to be present. Because it doesn't, the way it kind of reads, you know, it kind of reads that when he gets there, they ask him, and then he says, consecrate yourselves. And then shortly, like just the next line down, he says, then he consecrated Jesse and his son. Well, I know uh, they live probably out away from Bethlehem. You know, they got, you know, the cold countryside. And, of course, uh, they own sheep, for instance. It says when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought. So there he starts choosing the boys. And it's almost like sacrificial meal is not happening yet. Right. So it's almost like it backs up a little bit now, yeah. you know, after that. So I think that's what's happening. Yeah, so I, yeah, I tend to think he probably is at home there, okay. as he. But as he comes into the city, the elders meet him, and you know they ask, you know, what's going on. He says, "Peace, we're going to have sacrifice." So he invites them, and then he goes. And it consecrates Jesse and his sons and invites them to the sacrifice. I think they're consecrated probably first, and then they go to the sacrifice. Okay. But it's all, you know, as a whole, it's all in one. But we can see that, yeah, I think there's a there's an order there that's going. It's going to pick them, you know, first, and it's a pick David. So, um, you know, you could think um, whatever it is. 
there's going to be peace. They feel a lot better. They had to be white-faced yeah. when Samuel appeared, though. You know, that's, and so it's good to take that really with sincerity and seriousness of going, my, this, you know, this is real serious. It's been a serious time with what has happened with the king anyway. So there's Samuel, and he starts the examination of the sons. Um, it was not difficult for Samuel. Um, God told him in advance before, you know, what was going to happen here. And the same thing with Saul. God keeps telling him who it's going to be. Uh, and But he doesn't. He doesn't tell him before he gets there. He doesn't even tell him it's going to be David or the youngest one. He goes through every one of them from the oldest to the youngest. One is left. That would be the last one that you would pick. Uh, So anyway, um, Samuel has his own criteria for selecting the new king, doesn't he? So would we. How do you you know? Well, Saul... uh, kind of like what was going on at the time, at that, that time or any time, a criteria would be is, well, how do they look outwardly? Um, he would expect the firstborn, first of all, to be the one chosen. The firstborn is the one who gets the double blessing. The firstborn is considered to be the tops. He's probably going to know more. Uh, he's going to be uh, not only intelligent, but one who would be more ready than a younger one. Uh, but the youngest son to be God's choice? Oh, that's kind of the way that God works, doesn't He? Well, Jacob, Esau, also, right? Isaac, Ishmael. But also go by the age. Uh, you know, Samuel probably thinks this is going to happen really soon. Right? That uh, Saul will be taken out by God. I would think all of them probably yeah, are thinking. So they probably that, think yeah. he has it's going to happen any time. Be one of the older guys because they would be ready to go. Right. So Jesse actually had what nine? Well, because it, it names three of them, and then it says, and then he had seven other sons. So besides David, well, uh, verse ten says, "Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel." So there's been seven. David would be the eighth. After he comes back, he sums it up. He goes through the first three. He didn't choose any of them. And and so, really, he could have kept going with that. And the fourth one, the fifth one. But then he comes up and he says, after he's done through seven, then it's like, okay, the Lord didn't choose any of them. Is there anybody left? That's what Samuel's thinking here. And that's the idea. Does that make sense there, Debbie? Yeah, I, yeah. I read that as then instead of thus. Yeah. When I look back at it, I see. Yeah, he sums it up. You know, I kind of think it's funny. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance yeah. or his stature, because I reject him. That's not how I judge him. Yeah, humans do not see the, what the Lord sees. But when, yeah. he, when he mentions David... He's got pretty eyes. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's got he's pretty eyes and a nice features and very handsome. handsome. Like, he's handsome and all this. Like, oh, you just sit there and yeah, look like, all that. Yeah. Like, you, you could have picked this guy out of a dozen. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. All of a sudden he starts talking about his... Yeah, it is interesting. God knows exactly what Samuel's thinking. He knows what humans think. And wouldn't we do that too? 
You know, so anyway, a tall, good-looking fellow. Saul was easy to pick. You know, he was the tallest man there in Israel, evidently. And the way that he looked, you know, and but that didn't really make any difference. Um, his character is what counts. The Lord looks at the heart, and this is where this is at, right here. And that's what we humans always tend to do. And sometimes we are really wrong when we judge by the appearance, don't we? It's the man's character. Um, Samuel, that one who looks like it, he's not the one. He's not going to be the next king. None of them were, except for David. And he's a mere lad. He would almost be considered a child, not a man. He could be 10, 11, 12 years old. He's very young. We know that. And they're the ones who took care of the sheep, believe it or not. It was the kind of the lowest of jobs that you could have being a shepherd. So he's keeping the sheep, doing a child's work. And Jesse then sends for David. David, though, also is a good-looking young man. Now, his looks don't disqualify David. Just because he has good looks doesn't mean that he can't be the king. And that's not the idea of what God was getting across, but neither does he choose him because of them. But good looks in a king much is much like good looks in a wife. You know, one can choose a wife and their heart can be really good and great attitude and everything, but they may not look the best. But what if they have a great heart and they look good? Well, that's, I guess you could say, that's even better. <laughs> because they still have what's inside. But, you know, that, that's the idea there. Uh, good looks are not the basis for elect, uh, selecting, whether it be... Uh, necessarily a wife or a king, but it's a godly character. Uh, but I know in Proverbs 31.30, you know, it talks about the woman. And we see there a, a woman of godly character, but she's also beautiful. And that doesn't diminish her desirability, does it? David's character is pleasing to God. And the physical appearance that he has is just like icing on the cake. That's the idea. He could, you know, Jesus was one of no kind of draw because of the way that he looked. It wasn't his um, beautiful eyes. It wasn't because of the shape of it. We don't know what he looked like. But it does say in Isaiah 53 that there was nothing there about him that drew people to him because of his physical appearance. But there are some people who have physical appearance and people are drawn to them solely because of that. And they may not have anything on the inside that's worth hooting about, right? So God indicates to Samuel that David is the one and he anoints him. And God's Spirit comes upon David here and empowers him now for what the Holy Spirit does with the leaders. The Holy Spirit 
had come to Saul as king to empower him. Holy Spirit came upon like Gideon or like, uh, let's say, Samson. But yet at the same time, it empowers them to do what they do. Samuel gets up and returns to his home in Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David. And it almost seems like he's ready to be king now. It's going to be quite a while before that's going to happen. It's going to be years. God is going to groom him. Nobody knows what the time is going to be. God doesn't tell Samuel here, and everybody knows. He anoints him. That's one of the anointings that he will have. This is around a kind of a small crowd. Bethlehem is small. Uh, you have this family and maybe some other families around, and they witness this. But he's not going to take over as king next year, or the year after, or the year after. Not, not in the middle of January is that going to happen. But we know that God's Spirit is on him and he becomes quite the man of God. Now verse 13 to verse 14 is a huge, monstrous, monstrous contrast. Look at this. You have the Spirit of God come upon David And then you're going to see the exact opposite that happens to Saul. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Folks, this is sad. Spirit comes to David, empowers him. On the other hand, the Spirit of God that had been with Saul now departs. And not only that, it's the spirit of an evil evil spirit comes to him. And this is all God's direction, His will. And people would say, what is wrong with this? Nothing. God, you see, had blessed Saul many times. Saul, time after time, has been disobedient to the Lord and His Word. And now He takes the Spirit from Him. In terms of time, we know that it's a prophetic designation of David as being the king, but the ascent to the throne is going to be quite a while. The answer to the this question is, I guess you could say, 14 through 23, gives us a sample of how God providentially brings about what He indicates through His prophet. 14 through 23 is a way of grooming David as king. Who would have thought that a little shepherd boy is going to wind up in the king's palace and he is going to be the right-hand man for the king of Israel? Only God can do that. And that just doesn't happen by accident, does it? This is how He has planned it and woven it in. The grand designer. Nothing is by accident. In your life, it may seem like a lot of random accidents that have happened. But I will tell you, God uses those 
to make you who you are and eventually who you will be when it's all said and done. He's using all of these elements, clicking together. We can't really think that much about it, but nothing is by accident. God is sovereign. That's how much control that He has. Now the idea of taking the Spirit away from Saul. Saul has no idea what has happened here as far as Samuel and David. You know, he doesn't know that Samuel, or, uh, David has been designated and that he's been anointed as his replacement. Matter of fact, he's going to be the one responsible for bringing in David who's going to take his place eventually. Incredible. Now, he seems to have spells where this the terrorism of the Spirit is present. And, you know, there are times where he has maybe normal times, but there are other times when the evil spirit uh, oppresses him uh, an oppressive spirit. It would be one who brings on depression. Um, Saul is overcome by this demonic spirit. So how can God send an evil spirit? Well, God is a God of first causes. He's also a God of second causes. He causes it ultimately, but He will use different elements or different people or different angels or different spirits who make their own choice and do that when God allows that to happen. Job. The whole book of Job is about the fact that here comes Satan up to God asking if he can tempt Job, basically. Can he kill his kids? Yeah, kill his animals. Uh, he can do everything but not destroy Job. Job had all the sores on him. What a time he went through. But he was kept by God. Satan had to ask permission. And God said, go at it. He did. He said, well, God could take away Satan, couldn't he? He uses Satan. Is Satan a good person? I've got to turn this on because the power is out. Got to turn that on. So, what we have here now is this, you know, there's a lot of different theories about the evil spirit that comes from God and the appearances of the spirit and the disappearance of the Holy Spirit now. That was from the Lord. And He's doing a discipline here on Saul of the worst kind. Um... Uh, like a thorn, maybe sometimes. Uh, you, do you remember the thorn in the flesh of Paul? Or how about uh, whenever there was to be discipline in the church, when there, there had been illicit sex going on inside that church? What was that called? Well, he brought on Satan. Um Again, other times, God did that. He uses even Satan. It sounds horrible, doesn't it? God's in control, and He uses everything, even evil, but He doesn't, you know, He lets sin continue on in this world. Why didn't He just take it? Isn't He powerful enough? Obviously. He could have kept sin from happening. 
if he if he if he's not that powerful, then he's not an all powerful God. But he can do anything he wants. But it's always for what good to those who love him, called according to his purpose. What did he? What does he do with people like Hitler? Some say Hitler probably had some kind of demonic spirit around him. Uh, going through, like uh, he experienced maybe some remarkable things like Saul did here. It didn't say that the evil spirit enters him, but I think there's definitely an oppressive spirit that terrorizes him. Is it possible that David's plea that God not let his spirit depart from him in Psalm 51.11 was where he, he knew what happened to Saul? Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Because that had happened to Saul. And David didn't want... Don't take that, that the powerful, significant presence that you put on me to empower me. Don't take that from me. So, we know as far as Christians are today, can you have the Holy Spirit taken from you ever in your walk with Christ? Never. Once we have the Holy Spirit, He is there forever. <clears throat> Sometimes He doesn't feel welcome, maybe in certain rooms in your house, but He's there. He lives there. He'll always live there. But the evil spirit is from the Lord. This shouldn't be surprising. God is sovereign. Uh, throughout Scripture, we will see that later on. We will see more examples of Saul and the evil spirit. There are evil spirits going on and about the world. If God wanted to, He could stop them, couldn't He? He just allows them to do what they do. They're not running rampant and doing their own shots, are they? God is in control. Um, I kind of like want to talk about that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> because if the Lord had decided to get rid of evil in the beginning, I truly believe He would have to get rid of everything. Because once we all become tainted, you know, we wouldn't have had that atonement. So then, because no darkness can stand before the Lord, if He considers any sin evil, and we, we had that sin in us, we too would have been done away with. Yep. And then there wouldn't be anything, you know, then what would have been the purpose of Him creating things? He could have just said, that's it, humankind, yeah. and destroyed them all. And He did, if it weren't for Noah. Right. Yeah, and he, he, you know, God was gracious upon him. But even as I'm reading through Matthew, you know, I'm in chapter I'm in 14 now, but as I read through chapter 13, I realize in one paragraph, it the Lord talks about dividing the wheat from the wheat, and then there's like another verse, and then another parable concerning dividing of the wheat and the wheat. So, you know, the Lord is going to let those who are His be His, and those who are not His, and once the division happens, then He can do away with sin and evil. Yeah, what's He say? That He won't tear, he won't take out the yeah, tear out because He doesn't want to disturb the wheat, the good wheat that's right. inside of that too. So, so He lets them grow alongside for right. a long time until the wheat is healthy enough to, yep. to be removed, the, the wheat uh, from it. Yeah, so, yeah that's, that's a good point. And you know, I know this troubles a lot of people. And it is troubling. You know, God's sending an evil spirit. 
but He uses the evil spirit to bring David in this place to soothe Saul. So, see how good God is? That He's being tormented horribly. And He's looking for any kind of relief. And some of His people that are around Him say, you know what? We've kind of seen this before. Music tends to soothe people's soul. You know, some singing, some harp music, something quiet, whatever. It's the best treatment for his condition. And this inclines me to conclude that uh, this is a demonic spirit which now oppresses Saul, but at the same time, God is going to relieve him by using David. David comes in and grows up in this area as several years to see what it is like to be a king. Here's what you don't do, and here's what you do. And he was the best king that Israel ever had. And I believe he was the best king that this world has ever had. A man after God's own heart that like wrote Samuel most of Psalms. Himself. Sort of like Samuel himself. Yeah, he's... Right. Priest and seeing all the bad. Exactly. Eli, right? Yeah. His sons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seeing that's how it went with Eli. That God used that for good. So rather than look at God being evil here and doing that, people say, I can't believe God would do that. I, I can't even believe that. That's got to be an error. And that's why some phrases like that in the Bible is what make people say, well, the Bible's not inspired. Because God wouldn't do that. Well, God destroyed Almost the whole world. Because that's how evil... What they're saying is that I can't believe that mankind is that bad. That's the problem. Mankind is evil and wicked. And they all deserve, like you said a while ago, to be judged. They all deserve to have demonic spirits come at them and torment and terrorize them and until they go to hell. Now... That's how holy God is, and we saw that being put on display in chapter 15 when His Word is to be taken seriously. And it wasn't, and God is finally coming and saying, okay, that's enough. I'll let Him be king. It'll go on for a while, but I will tell you that I cannot have this man eventually ruling, and the Messiah is not going to come through His line. It's going to come... The Messiah is going to come through the very line that he's already prophesied about. It has to be through Judah. So, so they David, seek. David's from the line of Judah, and Saul was from Benjamin. Benjamin, yeah. And so, in God's mind, he he knew all along that Saul's not going to do. God was not surprised. He knew that what was Saul was going to do every detail. But he also knows about David. He's ordained all this. This is how good God is. And you know what? The people around him say, you need a musician. And there's somebody there that says, you know what? Uh, There is a tremendous harpist down around Bethlehem. I mean, this kid is awesome. Yeah, he, uh, he writes songs and he plays them. He just blows people away. He's good. 
He's a singer, and you know he's also a warrior, has wisdom. So they tell him about this this kid and and the musician that he is, and the spirit continually overtakes Saul, and you know he's terrified. So he approves of this idea. They go out and find him. And uh, now remember, he's already been chosen to be the king, but nobody knows about it. Uh, Saul doesn't. One of Saul's servants says, man, he's perfectly fit for you, Saul. He is a gifted musician. And he's a man, most importantly this, whether they knew it or not, the Lord is present. And I really think that's why that he's able to soothe Saul. The music helps. But when you have the Spirit of God with His music, isn't it amazing what it does? We all like music, don't we? What does it do for your soul? So, Saul summoned... What's that? Is that it plays with your emotions? Yeah, and if it's God's emotions, it's good. Because God has emotions. And He wants us to have emotions but for the good, and not to uh, rule our thoughts. The Word of God rules our thoughts, but the emotions come after it. The emotions do count, but we're not led to be led by our emotions. Don't let them lead you. They follow, don't they? So, Saul summons David, and no one dares to refuse the king. David is not going to refuse. Jesse is going to tell him to go. He sends David. Gives him uh, food and uh, gifts there to take the king. Um, Let's see. Let's read 15. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants... He's the the Lord there, the king, who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, He's a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man. (laughs) And the Lord is with him. That is the most important, isn't it? Is the Lord with Saul? Nope. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat, sent them to Saul by David, his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. The armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well. And the evil spirit would depart from him from time to time. Skills become real evident to Saul. 
And he is promoted to the position of the armor bearer. He's the one that's most closest to Saul of anybody. It's going to be David. And he comes to love David as well. He has a spirit about him, doesn't he? God's spirit, his spirit, has a great heart. Um, you know, he, he just loves him. David plays his heart, soothes the troubled spirit. How does Saul spell relief? D A V I D. Rolades, right? <laughs> Um, when the author of 1 Samuel turns his attention from Saul to David, he calls us to consider a man who is a prototype, a type of our Lord Jesus. David was a type of the King of Kings. David was a type of the Messiah. David is just a man, but he gives people a good glimpse, a picture of what the king is going to be like, only much better. But all along, people will see that David is going to be their great king and lead them into a time that later became a time of peace that Solomon was able to experience and all the people around, they didn't ever have before when they had entered the, the land. Anyway... God had a plan, and as you see, some pretty tough things here. The whole rebuking of Saul and then the evil spirit. And we would say, I just can't believe God would do that. But we don't see what God has in mind as He weaves this pattern. It goes much deeper than Saul's failures, doesn't it? It's bringing in King David, who is a type of Christ and a man after God's own heart. And so from here on out, we're going to see Saul at his worst, David at his best. And it is a blessing to know that God takes care of everything, doesn't He? He knows what He's doing. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this time that we've had tonight and to be able to just get into Your Word and the history. These things happen. They happen because You're in control and You have Your people that You want to use to show who's godly. And Lord, we have patterns and examples all throughout Scripture of who we want to have as our model. David would be one not Saul. And we know that your plans always work perfectly. Thank you for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.